Hi, Chris Fallon here. So excited about our podcast. Hey, want to tell you about the School of the Prophets coming up August 8th through 12th. We do it every year. Daniel McCollin and I, we've, uh, we've done this for 15 years. And we really developed the School of the Prophets to help develop young prophetic people who actually have a call to be a prophet or a prophetess. And what we found is we've actually trained hundreds and hundreds of prophets over the last 15 years. Many of them didn't even know that they were prophets, and they came to the school, they got, they got equipped, they got taught, they got commissioned, and they're actually having a huge impact in the world. I want to invite you, maybe you have a prophetic gift, maybe you're in a church that doesn't even recognize prophets, this is a great place for you to come for four and a half, five days to be with other people who have a prophetic call in their life, many prophetic people, many prophets, men and women. And you're going to have a great time. I guarantee you, you won't be bored. Secondly, I guarantee you, you'll you'll be you'll be excited to see other people that are wired like you, and that are excited like you, and that have a call like you. So join us again, August eighth through twelfth. It will be at Bethel Church, and it'll also be online. So you can go online, you can do it live online, or it's also recorded online, or you can come live on campus. You can register at Bethel.com forward slash events. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. The power of the fivefold ministry. You know, uh, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of talk uh, and, and social media especially. You know how powerful social media is and how accurate it is. <laughs> About the fact that there is no such thing as apostles and prophets anymore. That there's, there are evangelists, pastors, and teachers but there are no longer apostles and prophets. And, and uh, I, I get people that, there's whole documentaries um, against Bethel because we believe in apostles and prophets. And it's, kinda, it's a very interesting dialogue. And I, I'm not sure where, why, I'm not sure how you get to take things out of the Bible and say you believe in the Bible, but, or you put a timeline, I'm like, we don't have those anymore. But I'd like to just see what the Bible says. Is that all right? <laughs> You're still thinking, I wonder what they're going to say at my funeral. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, so um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, To each one of us, grace was given. Everybody say grace. grace. According to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, you know when the Apostle Paul was writing the New Testament, obviously there was no New Testament. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And when he made that statement, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He wanted to make sure that the readers knew that what he was saying was biblical. So he quotes a verse. And the verse says, when he ascended on high, he, gave, he took captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Are you with me? And he gave gifts to men. Now, what did Paul say in, the, in verse 7? He said, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the verse says, the verse that Paul used to defend his theology is that when he ascended on high, he, take, he took captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And Paul wants you to know that he is Jesus. That in the verse, it says he gave gifts to men, but Paul is wanting you to know that Jesus gave gifts to men. Are you with me? So the next verse says, he who ascended is himself, he who descended, uh, into the lower parts of the earth that he might fulfill all things. So Paul is 
saying, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except for he descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, he who ascended uh, that he might fulfill all things. The only point he's making in the next two verses is that the he in the Old Testament verse is Jesus. Are you with me? So he's saying he gave gifts to men and the he who gave gifts to men is Jesus Christ. So let's go back and start from verse seven and skip the explanation and this read on the way Paul would have wanted it to be read. So it says, he, it says in verse seven, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, verse 11, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. For what reason? To equip the saints to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And how long did he give the apostle prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? Until, next verse says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the statute that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay, um, let's just take this a piece at a time. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, there's five of them. That's why we call that the fivefold ministry. By the way, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says the fivefold ministry. That's just the way we describe the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And what did he give them for? To equip the saints. And how long did he have them there? Until we all attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Simply meaning, until the whole body looks like Jesus. I propose that the whole body does not yet look like Jesus. Are you with me? It doesn't say, and he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers until the first century was over. No, he said that he gave them until we all have the fullness of Christ, the unity of faith, and look like Jesus. So I'd suggest that we still have a little ways to go. Maybe you disagree, that's okay. Now, I want to contrast this with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, it says that, that the Holy Spirit gave us spiritual gifts, and it lists nine spiritual gifts. The word of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, the gift of miracles, the gift of faith, the discerning of spirits, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and so forth. It lists nine gifts of the Spirit. Some people believe there's only nine gifts of the Spirit. I believe there's hundreds. But I believe that Paul was pointing out that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people. How many know the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people? They're, they're called... <laughs> They're called the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, earnestly desire, it says, er, uh, it says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Some people are like, you know what? I don't want the gifts of the Spirit. I just want the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. How many know it's not a suggestion, it's a command? Are you with me? He didn't say, I suggest that you desire the gifts of the Spirit. He said, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Now, it seems strange to me that you wouldn't want, that we wouldn't want spiritual gifts. 
How many of you know, if you had a daughter or a son that was sick, would you not want the gift of healing? How many know the gift isn't for you? It's for the person who needs the gift. It's the person who's sick, the person who needs direction, the person who needs discernment, the person who needs to be delivered. Are you with me? If you had a, a son or a daughter that was purposeless, they had no purpose in life, would you not want the gift of prophecy so you could raise them up in the way they should go? <laughs> That's a good point, Chris. Okay, but the gifts are the spirit. First of all, I want to say they're not, they're not awards. Meaning you didn't get them because you deserved it. It's not a sign that you have noble character. The fruit of the spirit is a sign that the Holy Spirit is working on your character. The gifts of the spirit you got by asking. You could be a bozo. We're streaming, be careful. I hear the Holy Spirit over here and my wife over here. The two witnesses said, be careful, you're streaming. It's not that when you receive the gift of prophecy, it doesn't mean that you have great character. It's not an acknowledgement that you have a great relationship with God. How many know you get the gifts by asking? And the gift of prophecy, for example, is something you do. When you prophesy, it's something you do. It's not something you are. How many know it's a gift? It's something, it's the ability to do something. If you get your identity from the gift of prophecy, you're gonna have a you're gonna have performance-based identity. You know people like that? Every time you see them, they have to prophesy over everyone. Some of you are like, that's me. What are they gonna say at my funeral? So the Holy Spirit gave gifts, but Christ also gave gifts. Remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, since we that, that says, to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How many know the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, they themselves, their personhood is a gift from Jesus to the church? It takes three things to have a true ministry. A gift, a gift, a calling, and an anointing. Your gift gives you your ability, your calling gives you your identity, and your anointing gives you your purpose. You want me to say it again? It takes three things to have a true ministry. A gift, a calling, and an anointing. Your gift gives you your ability. Your calling gives you your identity. And your anointing gives you a purpose. The gifts and callings of God are what? Irrevocable, meaning what once God gives them, he never takes them away. You can walk away from God and you get to take your gift with you. You could have the, you could have the gift of prophecy, not have a relationship with God and still prophesy. But guess who's anointing your prophecies? The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. But how many understand that the anointing ebbs and flows with your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Wherever you see the word anointing, you're going to see something to do because your anointing gives you purpose. For instance, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for the Lord has 
anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the broken heart, speak release to captives, free the prisoners. You get the idea that wherever you see the word anointing, you're going to see something to do. How many know the Holy Spirit's always in you if you're a believer? But he's not always on you. The, whole, the, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. How many understand that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, but the anointing ebbs and flows with our relationship with the Holy Spirit? You ever known someone that's super gifted but has no motivation? It's a lack of connection with Holy Spirit. Good point, Chris. Sorry. Delayed encouragement is no encouragement at all. Okay, so let me make a distinction. The office of a, the, well, we'll start here. The gift of prophecy, as I've already said, it's a gift. It's not an award. It's not a reward. It's not a sign of your maturity. And you are required to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. The office of a prophet, for example, or all the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, they are not gifts. They are callings. You don't ask to be a prophet or a pastor. You're like, you know, I think I'll, I was going to go to, I was going to be an electrician, but I think I'll be a prophet. I'd go to the school of the prophets and become a prophet. No, no, no. The school of the prophets is there to train you in what God's already called you in. But how many know you can't graduate from the school of the prophets and it's not going to make you a prophet? Any more than going to the zoo is going to make you an animal. I don't know. I just, nothing was coming to me. I just made it up. I don't think it was the Lord. We don't earnestly desire to be a prophet. We don't earnestly desire to be an apostle. It's not a career. It's a calling. Paul said that he was an apostle. This is Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. He was an apostle, not sent from men, but from God himself. How many know, if God calls you to be one of the fivefold ministry, you can't be fired because you didn't get hired. It's pretty important that, though, that you have favor with God and favor with man. Like, how do I get, how do I know if I'm called to be a prophet? Well, you have to have a private encounter and a public commissioning. Sometimes people will call you out and say, I see you as a prophet. That's awesome. That's a public commissioning. But how many know if you don't have a private encounter, still not a prophet? Sometimes you have a private encounter before you have a public commissioning. You're like, I are a prophet. Three little blue angels flew over me. It's like, well, you may be a prophet, but you're not a prophet to anyone. As Paul said to the Corinthians, I may not be an apostle to everyone, but I am to you. How many know apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? They have metrons. They have spheres of authority. I can't even tell you how many times, especially in the early days, first 10 years I was here, that people would come to me and say, uh, the Lord called me to be a prophet to this church. <laughs> okay, well, until he tells me, you're not. Well, who am I a prophet to? Nobody I can think of. <laughs> the challenge is, is that we have to have favor with God and favor with men. You remember that maybe that Absalom, who was David's son, he had favor with man. 
but he didn't have favor with God. And you'll remember Joseph of the Old Testament, he had a dream that his entire family was going to serve him, that he was going to be a world leader. And how many understand he had favor with God, but he didn't yet have favor with man. And I'd suggest that, that Joseph's arrogance determined his journey. I don't know if you know the story of Joseph, but the next thing that happened to Joseph after he told his brothers about his prophecy, about his dream, is that he got sold into slavery. And then from there, he went to prison. Have you ever had a prophetic word, north, and the next thing that happens is south? <laughs> you know, God determines our destiny, but I often think we determine our journey. Because between the promise and the palace is always the process. So a prophet, apostle, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, those are not careers, they're callings. God's the one who calls you. Man's the one who acknowledges the call in your life, in my life. And from, from that point on, we get an opportunity to minister to God's people. And what is the main Ministry of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we equip the saints to do the work of service. Are you following me? We equip the saints to do the work of service. Um, I wanna, let's just digress for a moment and, and talk about apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I was telling you that there's many um, uh, people in, in, um, in the church today, global church today, that don't believe that apostles and prophets are for today. So let's talk a little bit about the frequency of the fivefold ministry. The word pastor is used one time in the Bible. I quote it to you, Ephesians 4.11. The word teacher is used 68 times in the New Testament, 52 times for Jesus. The word evangelist is used three times in the Bible. The word prophet is used 122 times in the New Testament alone. Hundreds and hundreds of times, if you include the Old Testament. The word apostle is used 70 times in the New Testament. Now, let's talk about the frequency of people named in the New Testament. There was 25 apostles named in the New Testament. Some people would say, well, there were only 12 apostles. No, no. How many of you know that the apostle Paul wasn't one of the 12? There was an apostle named Junus. She was a woman. There's actually 25 named apostles in the New Testament. Now, there are many more where the Bible makes a general statement about, and the apostles gathered, and we don't know if there was one or 50 or 400, but there are actually 25 named apostles in the New Testament. There is one named evangelist in the New Testament. Anybody know who that is? Philip. There is no named pastors in the entire Bible. Zero, none, zero. Zip, gone, zero. I didn't say there was no pastors. I said there was no named pastors in the entire New Testament. There are nine named prophets in the New Testament and four named teachers in the New Testament. Uh, isn't it odd that in the, in, the, in the early church, we had apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The most widely used name was apostle, the second most widely used name was prophet, and the no news used name, pastor, we use for everyone. And then we think the apostles and prophets are gonna pass away, but the people who had no impact on the early church are gonna take over the church. 
That's just an odd thought to me. Maybe not to you. Okay, now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. And it says, since we have gifts, you can look at it. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them according to the measure of his faith. Since we have gifts, everybody say gifts, yes. that differ according to the grace, everybody say grace, grace, given to us, let each of us exercise them according to the measure of his faith. Did you get that? Okay, now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, to each of us grace was given, to each of us, help me, grace was given. One more time, let's try over here. These people, thank you. Should have sat over here. <laughs> Teach one of us, grace. grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, of prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. What do the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher equip the saints with? Grace. Okay, follow me for a minute. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, since we have gifts that are different according to the grace given to us, do you see that, that what makes gifts different is grace? In other words, there are flavors of grace? Okay, um, follow me. Grace is not just undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved favor, but grace is the operational power of God. Now, let me describe grace. If you were speeding and you got pulled over and you're going 50 miles over the speed limit and you got pulled over and you didn't get a ticket, that's not grace, that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserve, mercy. But if you got pulled over by that same cop going 50 miles an hour over the speed limit and he gave you $1,000 for speeding, that's grace. You got what you didn't deserve. Are you with me? But grace isn't just undeserved favor, which I just described. Grace is also the operational power of God. So when you say, I got saved by grace, you're not just describing that I got what I didn't deserve. See, the Bible says that there was two powers holding you and me. That we were held by our sin. That sin actually was our master and we were slaves to sin. Maybe you did drugs and you think, I can stop any time. But when you went to stop, you realized that you don't have drugs. Drugs have you. Maybe it was pornography and you think, oh, I, you know, I'm looking at this, but I could quit any time I want. But then you try to stop and you realize, no, no, no. You thought you did a little sin and then sin did a big you. And the Bible says that we actually are captured by sin. And Paul describes it in Romans 7 when he says, I tried to stop. But I realized that I had no power over sin. Sin had power over me. So the first thing is, when I got saved, I got saved out of sin. And, when, and I got saved by grace. And grace came in and gave me the power over the power of sin. The second thing that the Bible says is that I was actually under the prince of the power of the air. The Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 where I was, I was actually under the prince of the power of the air that's now working the sons of disobedience, meaning not only did sin have me, but the devil had me. 
And the devil has no authority, but he has power. Because remember, Jesus said, I'm going to give you power over all the power of the evil one. So when Jesus saved you, he didn't just give you undeserved favor. He didn't just give you grace. Oh, you didn't deserve it. He also gave you grace, the power to change your life. Grace, it gives you the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before you receive grace. Are you with me? But Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, since we have gifts that are different according to grace given to us. Okay, I'd like to point out that grace comes in many flavors, and you have different kinds of grace that give you different kinds of gifts. Are you with me? And I'd like to point out that Ephesians chapter 4 says, verse 7, as we read just a little while ago, says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then it goes on to say that he gave sons, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip us to do the work of service. What do the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher give us? How do they equip us? What do they equip us with? Grace. And what does grace give us? Different gifts. Okay, think about it like this. Let's pretend there's a soda fountain. I've been using this for a lot of years. We have, we have a soda fountain. We have root beer. We have Coke, we have 7-Up, we have Orange. We don't have any diet, anything diet. It's, it's like false prophets. <laughs> Clouds without rain, wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam like shame. You get the idea. They all have, there's five of them up here, five of them. They all have one thing in common, what is that? Soda water, right? They all have soda water. But the flavor is determined by the fountain. I mean, if you come to root beer, you're not going to get coke right if you're looking for coke and you go to the sprite fountain how many know you're going to get sprite because the fountain determines the flavor are you with me okay so now think of it at fivefold ministry if you come to the pastor how many know you're going to get pastoral grace remember he equips us to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift and he describes the fivefold ministry equipping us and then Romans 12.6 says that we have gifts that differ according to grace. So if you come to the pastoral fountain, how many of you know you're going to get pastoral grace, which is going to give you pastoral gifts? Right? So you're probably, going to get, you're probably going to get gifts like the gift of mercy, where you have mercy for people no one else has mercy for. You're probably going to get counseling gifts in which you can discern what's really going on with someone, and you can help them you know, get healthy and whole. You're going to get pastoral gifts because what's flowing from the fountain is pastoral grace that's equipping you are you with me if you come to the the a prophet's fountain you're not going to get any pastoral grace <laughs> just be clear but you're probably going to get grace that has something to do with having eyes to see and ears to hear. Because how many know the idea is that the prophet actually equips you to actually be prophetic, to actually have dreams, have visions, everything around the idea that you're going to perceive the other realm. If you come to evangelists, you're not going to get prophetic grace. You're going to get evangelistic grace. Probably you're going to find yourself waking in the night, weeping over broken and lost people. You're like, what happened to me? You came and got equipped by an evangelist who burns for people who don't know God. Are you with me? Now, 
the Bible says, let's go back for a, a minute, and the Bible goes on to say this, listen to this. It gave some as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of service until, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result of the fivefold ministry, listen to this, as a result, we are no longer children, tossed here and there by every wave, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and evil scheming. But speaking the truth in love, how many know a lot of people love to speak the truth? <laughs> no greater love than any man has than this, that he lay down his friend for his life. <laughs> but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, everybody say grow up, in all aspects of him who is the head, in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each part, causes the growth of the body to build itself up in love. That's a lot of words, isn't it? But here's the point, that the fivefold ministry equips you, it equips the saints to do what? To build up the body of Christ until the body itself can build itself up in love. In other words, when you, if you have a, let's just go back to the prophet. If you have a prophet in your church, the goal of the prophet is not to prophesy. The goal of the prophet is to equip the saints to prophesy. You have a very dysfunctional culture of every time you need to hear from God, you have to come to the prophet. How many know the prophet's job is not to hear from God for you, but to hook up your phone so you can hear from God for you? The goal is to equip the saints so the saints can do the work and they have all aspects of Christ. So if I am in a five-fold ministry flow, how many know I can operate like the apostle, like the prophet, like the evangelist, like the pastor, and like the teacher? The goal is that you would receive grace, they would get multiple different gifts from multiple different, the five-fold ministry, right? And that the body would build the body up in love. Look, I want to be the apostle. Is that the head guy? Whoever the head guy is, that's what I want to be. No, no, no. You, want to be, you don't want to be the equipment distributor. You want to be the person doing the work. You don't want to be, you don't want to hand out the basketballs. You want to be the player. You want to be Michael Jordan. You want to be the equipment manager handing out the footballs. You, you want to be the quarterback. Some of you are like, no. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to play the game. It's way too risky. The Bible goes on to say that the apostle and prophet are the foundation of the church. Of the foundation of the church. I have a very beautiful house. I thank God for it. Fleece the sheep to get it. That's <laughs> a joke. I'm just being funny because that's what people say. God's been very good to us, plus I've written 15 books, so my mother bought them, <laughs> most of them. No, on a serious note, I have a very, we have a very nice house. I, I've never had anybody over and said, 
come look at the foundation. You should see this foundation. We put so much concrete in there, we could build a skyscraper out of this house. No, no, the foundation's really important, but how many of you know it's not the beautiful part of the house? No, I wouldn't buy a house that didn't have a foundation. I wouldn't buy a house that had a broken foundation. I'm saying, I'm saying yes, the foundation's very important, of course. But nobody comes over someone's house and looks at the foundation unless you're thinking about buying that house. Nobody enjoys the foundation. How many understand the apostle prophet, the apostle prophet aren't the ceiling, they're the floor. The goal, the goal of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is that the saints would be equipped to outgrow them. If you're in a mature fivefold church, and the past and the leaders are the biggest thing going in the church, something's wrong with that church. I know, I'm trying very hard. Okay, and then, it's, then Romans 6 says, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 6 says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them according to the measure of his faith. How many understand the flavor is determined by the fountain? But the amount of grace you receive is determined by the cup you bring to the fountain, which is called faith. Are you with me? You might just bring a little sippy cup, be like, ah. got just a little bit of prophetic gift that's kind of weird. I'll take a little taste of it. I had one dream, and that was it. Remember, Jesus said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a, then you receive prophet's reward. What is the prophet's reward? It's grace that gives you gifts. Are you with me? So you get to determine how much grace flows into your life. Are you with me? You can have a lot or a little. We will airdrop gifts to you, but you have to push accept In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said, For this reason I, the pris- the Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Now, if I said Bill Gates had a lot of, that Bill Gates was rich, you would think he has a lot of money. But in heaven, wealth is not measured by money. How many of you know when you have gold streets and pearl gates? <laughs> anyway. Tom and I, we're going to be street sweepers in heaven. Gold dust. Anyway, you didn't get that. But In heaven, in heaven, wealth is determined by grace. In fact, let me give you a verse for it. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it says... Something powerful, you should read it. <laughs> it's verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, 
which he lavished on us according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. How many understand that in heaven, riches are measured by grace? Are you with me? The more grace you have, the wealthier you are. And Paul said, I was made a steward of grace. Usually, when, if I said we're going to have a stewardship class, what would you think we were going to talk about? Money. But Paul said, my stewardship isn't money, it's grace. And God gave me grace, but it's not for me, it's for you. Are you with me? We get to equip the saints with grace. Now, people sometimes mistake our call with our grace-filled gifts. Uh, people say to me all the time, uh, I, I, you know, people call you a, a prophet, but I think you're an apostle because you're actually doing mostly the work of an apostle in our city. It's like, no, God's never called me an apostle. But when I was 24 years old, I had an encounter with God in the bathroom, <laughs> close to the throne, in the tub where I was being baptized in the Holy Spirit. He walked through the wall, and he talked to me for a half an hour. I've shared it many times in three of my books. And he said to me, you will be a prophet to the nations. I've never had an encounter with God where he called me an apostle. Only, I've only had an encounter where God called me a prophet. But I have apostolic grace because of who I'm connected to. Let me give you an example. When we were in Weaverville, sometimes you would buy property that you couldn't get water on. Like you would have the well diggers come out and they'd dig several holes. And by the way, it's very expensive, depending on how deep you have to dig to dig a well. And, the, and they would come out and they'd dig several test holes and not find any water. And you're like, you know what? Land without water is pretty worthless. And so one thing you could do is you could go to your neighbor, and if your neighbor had a really good well, you could go say to your neighbor, I, they couldn't find water on my property, making my property worthless. You have water on your property. Do you have enough water that you could actually maintain two homes? And if, you're, if you're, uh, your neighbor has a, a really good well, most often they'll be like, yeah, it costs you 10 bucks a month or 30 bucks a month, whatever, pay for the electricity and give them a little profit. And, um, and you got water on your property, and you build a house, and you come to my house, and, 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 um, and, my, and the well's on my neighbor's property, but you come to my house, and you can wash your hands, you can take a shower, you can drink the water, you could, and, and you, 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 you have no idea that the well that you're experiencing is not on my property, it's my neighbor's property. I'm not an apostle, but I have a relationship with the property next door named Bill, of 41 years of drawing off of that well. And because I have a covenant relationship with Bill, I can operate just like an apostle, although my calling is prophet, because, the, because I'm connected to someone who has a well of grace on their property. Are you with me? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 said, preserve the unity of the spirit. It's the same chapter where we learn about apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. How many understand? Because you have the same Holy Spirit in you that's in me, and the Holy Spirit that's in you is in me simultaneously. He doesn't rush over to you, then come back to me. Because the Holy Spirit's in you, and he's in me simultaneously, it creates like a Holy Spirit internet. 
in which I can airdrop gifts from me to you. Right? It's called impartation. Romans chapter 12, Paul said this to the, to the Romans, I, verse 11, I long to come to you that I might impart a spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Now think about what Paul just said. He just wrote 16 of the most theologically profound chapters in the entire New Testament to the Romans. And yet he just said to the Romans in, chapter, in the first chapter, I'm going to write you 16 chapters. I'm going to give you this profound letter, but you won't be established till I come to you and impart a spiritual gift to you. I'm saying there are things that you can do with teaching, but there are things that you can only do with impartation. Paul said to Timothy in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Timothy, take the gifts, take the gift. Actually, he didn't say gifts. He said gift. Take the gift that was given to you through the laying on of the press tree and the prophetic declaration made over you. Take that gift and, t- and, and labor with that gift. In fact, let me, I think, let me give you the exact, I think I have it here. Yeah, verse four. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be fully absorbed in them, that your evidence, your progress may be evident to all. Your progress may be evident to everyone. What did he just say to Timothy? Timothy, the leaders laid hands on you. And when they prophesied over you, they released, they airdropped a gift to you. Now, he doesn't say what the gift is. Let's propose it's teaching because he does say something about teaching in in the previous verses. Maybe they laid hands on him and they gave him the gift of teaching. And Paul says, now, I want you to take that gift of teaching and I want you to work with it until your progress is seen by everyone. How many know grace gives you ability, but you still have to work out your salvation daily? You, still, you, you may be born a great athlete. You may be, you may be fast. You may be agile. You may have, been, you may have the gift of, a, of athleticism. But how many you know nobody is born playing basketball or baseball or soccer or whatever sport? You still have to learn. You may be gifted, but how many know you still have to go out and learn the skill of the sport and practice? Good point, Chris. My point is, is that Christ gave gifts to men. What are the gifts? The fivefold ministry are a gift to you, but those gifts are calls, and then those callings release grace in you, and that grace release gifts in you, and those gifts give you abilities you couldn't do before you received the grace. But you still have to pour yourself in to what you received. Are you, are you, are you with me? Some of the most profound things that happen in a meeting, we are often not conscious of unless we're, quote, in the spirit. Because we hear teaching all the time. Teaching describes the impart... Teaching... No, let me say, let me say it differently. Teaching often describes what's actually being imparted from the teacher, from the, from the person that's in the podium speaking to us. And how many understand that once you receive grace, you also have grace to give? Paul said when you assemble, each one has a, a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. How many understand that when we connect to the body, 
we receive, if you will, joint to joint at our connections, we are receiving grace from one another. There's a, there's a, a very challenging, I think, dynamic that's happening in the 21st century. Some of it's really good, some of it's ugly, and some of it's bad. And that is, people are becoming more and more isolated. We've gone from being interdependent to being independent. We, we say things that, that break off accountability. How many know accountability is account for your ability? That Paul called Timothy to an account, not for his disability, but for his ability. Hey, Timothy, we laid hands on you, you and gave you a gift. What the heck are you doing with it, boy? What are you doing with what you got? Listen, I want you to pour yourself into that gift that was given to you so everyone could see your progress. I don't know if you've been around here the last three years especially, but I've watched the gift of teaching be on Eric Johnson. I've watched it grow. I've watched him take what God gave him. I don't know if it was from his childhood or, or someone laid hands on him. I don't know. But I have sat in the last three years and at times been astonished at what's coming out. I was going to say young man. He's not a young man anymore. Of this amazing leader. That he is teaching things that are absolutely profound. And I'm like, and I can watch him. I can see that he's giving himself totally to, the, uh, to one of the gifts. He's, I'm sure he's given himself to many others, but I'm talking about the teaching gift. I'm watching him teach, and I'm watching the level of his teaching grow every week. What's he doing? He's a great example of he got a gift, and he started pouring himself into it, and everyone could see his progress. Let me ask you a question. What gift did God give you? Well, that's a nice way to make it quiet. I mean, many of you came to the prophetic conference. I don't know what the motivation is to come to a prophetic conference. If you're just going to hear more teaching, you can like stay online and get it for free. The challenge is, is that it's very difficult to get impartation online. Not too hard to get revelation, great teaching, kind of hard to get established impartation online because God, for some reason, has reserved that for relationship. Like there are just some things you can't get outside of relationship. The other challenge I see, and I'm off my notes now, the other challenge I see is that there's a lack of respect for leadership. And I'm not talking about here. This is amazing. This place is amazing. I'm talking about in general. People are like, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, he happens to be invisible, so how do we know if we're following him? And yet Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders. Obey your leaders who give watch over your soul. No leaders giving watch over my soul. That's the problem. That's the problem. See, God put the body. He created order. He gave us apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I, I think part of the challenge 
I mean, I've thought a lot about this. Like, why, why are people like, those people believe in prophecy. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you want, the Moose Club? <laughs> God doesn't speak to people today. He spoke to people in the Old Covenant before they knew God. Why wouldn't he speak to people in the New Covenant when he's inside of them? Can you imagine God living inside of you and not talking to you? Why would he give you a silent treatment? How many know his name's Word of God? I mean, it's kind of hard for a person named Word to not talk to you. Some people are like, well, now that we have the Bible, the Bible contains all truth. I propose that the Spirit contains all truth. That the Bible is true, but it doesn't contain all truth. Uh, for example, does God care who you marry? Well, let's try over here. These seem to be the marrying kind of. Does God care who you marry? Absolutely, He does. If He cares about a bird that falls from its nest, then I would assume He cares about who we marry. He's talked to us a lot about how to find someone, He's talked a lot about what kind of virtues a person should have. But he doesn't tell us, there's no Bible verse unless her name's Rachel, or Mary, or Ezekiel. Like on a, on a serious note, like, does God care who you marry? Of course he does. Can you find a verse that tells you who to marry? No. Well, what I'm getting at is the goal of the Bible is that you get to know the author. I mean, I've memorized large portions of the Bible but how many of you know, knowing the Bible and knowing God are not synonymous? How do we know that? The, because the Pharisees memorized the entire Torah, the Old Testament, and didn't know God when he was standing in front of them. So I, I'm trying to say, like, the goal of the Bible is that you'd actually get to know the author. And, and I don't know what, what it is about 21st century Christianity, but, the, I, but it's becoming the church is becoming the least spiritual place on the planet. And people are like, you believe that God speaks to you? Like, what does he say to you? Like, you know, when you tell some people that God speaks to you that are Christians, they want, to, they want you to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Like, they can't actually believe that God speaks to you. And I'm like, having a relationship with God means he speaks to you. And I think the challenge with apostles and prophets is that it just seems so spiritual. Like, all I need is a pastor, an evangelist, and a teacher. I'm like, why wouldn't you want an apostle and prophet? Like, why wouldn't you want the foundation of the church in the, new, in the 21st century church? Why would, we just want, why would we just want teachers, pastors, and evangelists? So I, I really believe that, that God's restoring the five-fold ministry because he wants to change the world. And I, I, I believe Abraham was looking for a city who's had foundations. How many know the apostles and prophets are foundation? Abraham was looking for a city that has foundations and whose builder and maker was God. I believe that Reading is an apostolic city. I hope that you think that your city is an apostolic city. So, okay, I'm done talking. Why don't you stand up and I'm going to give you an airdrop. If you're watching by Bethel TV, you should like tune in. Get your Holy Spirit Wi-Fi on.
<laughs> you guys are already assuming position. The front row's like, pour out the barrel. <laughs> After the teaching, some people are like, I brought my, my container. Oh, my container. On a serious note, I, I feel like all the teaching tonight was just to let you know what you're, what's about to happen in the next 35 seconds. I feel like it was to give language to this gift that's going to be released to you. Bill tells a story. I want to tell it. You just be prepared. Just stay here. Bill told a story. I think he told it in the prophetic conference if you were there. But he tells a story about our leaders going to a vineyard conference to see John Wimber. And, uh, and John was teaching the exact things that Bill had been teaching us, I think, for around 11 years. And, uh, and, and Bill said the difference between what John, what was happening at the conference, the vineyard conference, and at our church was Bill was teaching it, but they were actually having it happen. Bill was teaching on healing, but no one ever got healed. But he saw several people get healed at the vineyard conference. And so Bill said he came back really discouraged because they were teaching the same thing he was teaching. So really, it was a good conference, but what was different? But what happened when he came home is that what he, te- what he taught began to happen. There was a release of grace on our leader's life. Let me tell you my experience. I've only told this a couple of times. There was, uh, there was 10 couples, I'm sorry, uh, there were seven couples in, on our leadership team, 14 people. And Kathy and I were the only husband and wife team that didn't go to the Vineyard Conference. We were, it, was a, it was summertime and we couldn't get away from our business. So six of the seven couples went. And we prayed, uh, we prayed every Sunday morning like we do here. We were the prayer team, the seven of us, the 14 of us were the prayer team. So after service, Bill would say, if you need a miracle, just like we do right now, come up and the elders will pray for you. Well, we did that every, every Sunday for years, 11 years to that point. The next Sunday after they came home from the vineyard experience, Bill said, hey, if you need prayer, come on up. And the elders came up, including Kathy and I, and it was all of us, 14 of us at front. And as they began to lay hands on people coming up for prayer, they, started, they were falling down in the spirit. That was not, we had seen it before, but that was not a common manifestation. Everyone they laid hands on fell down. We didn't have catchers. I mean, like this was not common for us. I don't mean a couple people fell down. I mean, it was a dog pile. Interesting, we had no one fall down. Kathy and I. Like all six of those couples, people were falling down as they prayed for them, but we didn't go to the conference. No one fell down under the power of God when we prayed for them. It was super obvious. (laughs) Who had the Judas spirit that day? That's a joke, by the way, when we're streaming. It's just a joke. The next week on our Tuesday elder meeting, we actually talked about it. And I said, gosh, it felt so awkward. Like, you guys received something that we didn't receive. Could you pray for us? So they prayed for Kathy and I. And now, listen, I don't care if people fall down or not. That's not the point. I'm, I'm simply pointing out that they caught something. They didn't, just, they didn't just hear teaching. They prayed for us. So those seven couples, six couples 
They prayed for Kathy and I. The, next, the very next Sunday, we were up front like we always are, praying for people, and people were falling down when we prayed for them. They received grace. The air dropped it to us. We started giving to people. Pretty soon, our church would pray for one another. And not, that, you know, not that falling down is like, you know, I don't even know if it's in the Bible, but, but it's an experience that people had. When they get under the power of the Holy Spirit, they just fall down. And by the way, we started catching them. Was, <laughs> we had less injuries. Why did I tell you that story? Because I believe that there's something going to be imparted for me. I'm just human. I, I know, I'm just a man. But God has assigned me to be a vessel that he passes a certain kind of grace through. And I didn't choose me. He chose me. A lady wrote me today on Facebook, private message, said, what are your qualifications? I said, son of God. She said, that's not good enough for me. I said, I don't think I... I don't think I am doing this because of you. And then she wrote back and said, yeah, you're just in it for yourself. I'm like, okay, so ban the purgatory. I'm going to give you a nonprofit word, ban. So I want to just pray for you right now. I just want to actually, I actually don't want to pray for you. I want to release a gift over you so that you can go home and carry this grace like our team carried when they went to the vineyard and that you would bring something back to your church, your family, to your people that you could release on them because you free, freely received it and you get to freely give it. It's kind of a virus that there's no inoculation for. Holy Spirit got virus. So Lord, I just release right now by the authority that you gave me, completely you, I don't even deserve it. I just release this grace that flows out of my life that would be freely given to them right now in Jesus' name. And they receive all kinds of prophetic grace that would give them prophetic gifts that would release them in prophetic ministry that would change the world. And I want you to say, I receive that for myself. I receive it for my family. I receive it for my great-great-grandchildren that we'd be a prophetic family, a prophetic tribe with a prophetic legacy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.